John Lewin's Chief Executive Officer of K92 Mining. So we operate the Kanantu Mine, high-grade Kanantu Mine in Papua New Guinea. Mine's currently uh, undergoing an expansion from 400,000 tonnes per annum to 500,000 tonnes per annum and uh, expecting production, I think, of 115 to 140,000 ounces this year. Just about to complete our feasibility study on the next stage of expansion, which will take us up to 300,000 tonnes per annum. So an exciting time. Exciting time, a busy time, um, and uh, you, the, the logistics um, must be must be well hard, hard to follow at times, I suspect. Um, but let, let's go with the um, let's start with the quarterly um, numbers. You some strong numbers, some record numbers. What's been happening there? Yeah, look, I mean, we've uh, we've lifted now all of our COVID restrictions, and you can see that flowing through into the numbers. So plant throughput um, just under one hundred nine thousand tons. Now our capacity is 100,000. That's the expanded capacity, which we only commissioned sort of late last year. So we're already exceeding it and uh, well on our way to then the next phase of expansion, which takes us up to about 125,000 tons per quarter or 500,000 tons per annum. When you look at the, at the numbers, um, first off, we removed all COVID restrictions. So all of our, all of our, um, restrictions that we had in place to protect the site from COVID. We've been able to live. COVID is right is uh, almost non-existent in PNG right now. Um, and we've got no COVID on site. Now that flows through into your operations. So when we look at plant throughput, 109,000 tons or just under 109,000 tons versus a stage two capacity of 100,000. So we're on 9% above and we've only just commissioned the stage of expansion. So Already, we're doing better than uh, than the expansion. On the mining side, over 114,000 tons mined, so over 14% higher. Now, when you look, we're progressing towards our uh, our next expansion, which is to take us from 400 to 500,000. We haven't yet installed all of the equipment for that, but we're already achieving better than uh, than the uh, stage two. So. I think from those perspectives, this was uh, this was really a, a top top quarter from our perspective. It, and you must be throwing off a lot of cash. So you, you know, I've got to ask, why go and raise another fifty million bucks? What's what's the plan for that, and, and why do it at all? We raised fifty million, as you said. It was a two percent dilution to our shareholders. We raised it at pretty much the top of the market. And from our perspective, we are now going in as you're aware, to this next phase of expansion, which is to, to basically triple our throughput to 1.2 million tons per annum, increase our production to 300,000 ounces plus per annum. And we're self-funding that, as we've, as we've said in the past, while we're also the largest explorer in PNG. And, and this year, we'll spend about 15 million US dollars on exploration. So you're going into that phase of expansion. We all know that there are that we're seeing inflation in uh, in costs, both capex and, and opex, and so we took the opportunity to um, reinforce the balance sheet. When you know we're talking about 120 million US dollars in cash, no debt uh, going into this next phase of expansion, and we want to maintain our exploration. I mean, we're running 10 rigs right now. We're the biggest explorer in the country. And we're, we're the biggest explorer because we've got this fantastic ground that just keeps 
giving and giving. And so, you know, getting a lot of good results out of that exploration as well. So it's, it's you know, exciting expansion, but exciting exploration at the same time. Right. So I'd like, I don't think anyone's going to fault you for the, the speed at which this is growing. growing. And quite frankly, you know, re- record quarters every time we speak, it seems. Um, but and I guess there's the old the old joke that bankers offer you money when you don't need it. But why choose to do that in an environment where, as you say, it's inflationary, um, it's uncertain, um, and you know, and, and it's, I, I get that it's only two percent dilution, but n- nevertheless, shoring up your balance sheet at a time like this is, is, is it's important. Why specifically? It's, does it give you confidence? Should it give shareholders confidence? Look, I think it's both of those. It, it certainly should give shareholders more confidence. It ensures that we can maintain our exploration expenditure um, while we are undertaking a major expansion, which is funded from uh, our balance sheet and our own cash flow. So it's it's both of those basically, and and you know the you do have cost inflation. Uh, it is on people's mind. And so in doing this, we basically increased our cash balance by 50% by doing this. And so, you know, when you're sitting with 120 million US cash and you've got no debt, you're in a pretty strong position. And um, having that much cash going into an expansion certainly gives your shareholders a lot of confidence as well. Right. And obviously, I guess your aim, therefore, like the ambition has always been there and the, the, the growth components of the story has always been there. But you, you're, I mean, you're now exporting Dore bars, which is, which is good. Um, you know, I mean, you've, you've been doing the flota- flotation concentration, concentrate. Um, but what, what is that? What is the, it was the significance of that? Was, does that mean that you're going to drive more revenue through that way? So gravity, we, we've, uh, um, commissioned our gravity circuit. And uh, we started, uh, we did our first export of Dory, as you said, um, towards the end of the last quarter. Now, initially, we'd only get 5 10% of our gold out by Dory, but uh, we think with the new plant, we'll be able to push that up further um, to 15 or 20%. Payability is obviously better for Dory. So you get, uh, you know, you get about 4% better payability on Dory than you do on a bulk comp. We get very good payment terms in terms of when they get paid with our float con, but you get even better when you're producing a Dore. And we believe that that uh, Dore recovery as well, that gravity gold recovery, should be able to push our overall recoveries by half to one, one percentage points. So you're also looking to get slightly better um, recoveries there. And then the other point is that you can push your the copper grade in your float con higher, which means that you can get better payability for your copper as well. So it, it, it really, uh, is, um, significant that it, it's, it's on multiple fronts that you actually get a benefit from it. Okay. So it's so interesting that you kind of like, you're trying to like shave these benefits all the way along the process. So numbers are better than stage two, which, which is, you know, that we've talked about in the past. This next phase of development is going to add what in terms of answers and, and revenue to you? I'm, I'm trying to work out kind of the, the sort of step change in output and therefore the step change in terms of how we position you compared to some of these mid-tiers out there. Okay, so, I mean, by the end of this year, we'll commission the plant at 500,000 tonnes per annum 
and we expect to achieve 500,000 tons basically next year. So you've, you've increased your throughput by 25%. Um, you expect to see uh, an increase in, in gold production of less than that, but nevertheless, you, you know, you'll be looking for better numbers than we have right now for this year. The next phase of expansion takes us to 1.2 million tons per annum, which is three times our current throughput. And that'll take you up 300,000 ounces per annum plus. Um, it allows you to um, make basically lower your cutoff grades that you bring into the plant. It will lower your overall costs. It lowers your, your unit cost per ton. It lowers your cost per ounce. And obviously it increases the ounces that you're producing. So you're now moving into very much what will be a tier one operation, 300,000 ounces, lowest quartile in terms of cash and all in sustaining costs, um, long life asset that, you know, we still are, are drilling on multiple fronts to expand our resource. And, and so I can't actually tell you how long it's going to be running, except it will be running a lot longer than, than I will be in the industry. Right, but that, that, this is the interesting bit because it, it is a big um, operation. You've got whatever fourteen hundred people coming in and out of of site um, um, there. So, the, like I mentioned earlier, it's a logistics exercise. Um, quite frankly, but I'm I'm sort of intrigued um, when the capex component stops. I, I the 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 cost of building the scale of this thing stops. And then it's just focusing on the operation and the margins and then case of what you do with those margins. So you can just kind of remind me, you know, what, what's that kind of the, the finish of that, um, the capex phase and then, and then what do you do? We're looking at, uh, in terms of the 1.2 million tons per annum, we're looking at sort of mid 24, that that would be commissioned. And so over the next effectively two years, we'll be spending about 300 million in capex to get to, to get to that point. Now I can't tell you that will actually stop at that point because already we are looking at a potential 3A and uh, that's part of um, what we're looking at as part of the DFS uh, um, PA type situation where potentially we do uh, a step up from that 1.2 to perhaps 1.7 million tons by restarting the existing plant because this expansion to 1.2 is a brand new plant which means the existing plant gets put on care and maintenance. You, of course, can bring that back into production very, very quickly. And uh, that's certainly now something that we're looking at um, perhaps two years after we commissioned the 1.2 is to actually take another step and go to 1.7. But that's not a major capital because you're bringing on your existing asset, your existing plant. Yes, you've got to expand your mining fleet, but it's nowhere near the sort of uh, a capital to build a brand new plant. So that's, that's 3A, and, and uh, as I think you're aware, with our twin incline, the 5x5 five five and the 6x6, six six, not 5x5 five five and a half, 6x6 six six and a half, that trucking can go up to 3 million tons per annum, and you put conveyors in, and you can go significantly beyond there. So we've, we've already allowed in the infrastructure we're putting in for you know the stage 3, the stage 3A, the stage 4, potentially stage 5. So we're... We are building to expand. 
You, you are, but I'm, I'm so again, I'm sort of intrigued about the the pace of that. Everyone loves a growth story, but all stories should be growth stories, right? But when you reach a certain size, that get that gets harder. Um, and if you're plowing the money back in the ground, your shareholders are going, well, you know, what about us? What about us? We've we've had a good good ride in terms of the, the share price, except for recently, everyone's come off a wee bit. But you know, um, dividends or maybe de-risking it by looking at other jurisdictions. We've talked about that in the past. So I'm just wondering how the thinking's changed and do you need, do you need to continue to move at the same pace in country? Could you be forgiven if you distributed some of these earnings back to shareholders uh, in the interim? Well, I mean, how, how are you thinking about yeah, all look, that? That's an interesting uh, interesting question. And, and, and the reality is that when you look at current gold price, you look at the the sort of all-in sustaining costs that you're looking at. You're you're talking in excess of a thousand dollars an ounce margin after all-in sustaining cost. Three hundred thousand ounces. The numbers are fairly fairly easy to run on that sort of thing. Doing an expansion to let's say from one point two to one point seven, we couldn't spend that money. We can't get anywhere near spending it. So certainly, it's already a discussion that we're having at a board level about you know dividend policies. And even with the expansions we're, you know, we're thinking about now, and even with the exploration that we're busy with and, and all the successes that we're getting there, um, we still believe that uh, once we've got this next phase of expansion commissioned and up and running, that uh, that'll be a serious thing that we're looking at is the dividend policy. At the same time, we are obviously continuing to look at for opportunities and and obviously with you know the the market the way it is it's actually possibly throwing up more opportunities than there might be at other times and so that's something that we continue to to look at but and i'll make this point very very strongly because we've got such strong organic growth we've got got no driver that we need to go and look at uh, at other projects. We, we look at opportunities because that's our that's our job. Our job is to maximise value to shareholders, and that means you've got to be looking at all sorts of opportunities. And those opportunities are from the little things like putting a gravity circuit in, getting an incremental improvement, therefore in recoveries and payability and proper payability, to larger things like, you know. What's the next phase of expansion or is there other opportunities out there? You've got to be doing all of those things because they all add value to, to the company and therefore to the shareholders. Okay. Well, let's, let's look at that. I was talking about jurisdictional de-risking as it were, right? But your behavior during COVID in Papua New Guinea, um, in terms of the, the COVID restrictions the, the, that you put on your, your, your own camp um, and the way that you, your expectation of how your camp interacted with the community. I mean, is that must have brought you a few brownie points along the way. So in terms of that jurisdictional risk component, do you, do you think you've helped yourself somewhat? Oh, look, we definitely believe that from a jurisdictional risk perspective, um, we're well-placed. We... You know, we recognize jurisdictional risk. Wherever you are in the world, you've got jurisdictional risk of, of different sorts. In our case, we we recognize where they are with uh, communities, landowners, those sort of things and their expectations. And so we, we continue to work to deliver on those in education, in health, in infrastructure such as roads, which has been one of our biggest spends over the last, uh, over the last couple of years. We've put over a million into roads up into our communities. 
But the other one, and it's an important one in, in, in this country, is um, corporate tax. Um, I met with the tax commissioner um, just uh, last week because I'm in, in PNG right now. Uh, I think last year, he, flagging, we were the second largest taxpayer in the mining space. And already this year, uh, we're doing our second tax payment. We do them every quarter. And I think that takes us up to uh, 50 million kina in tax already this year, which is about uh, 15 million US dollars. So we're delivering on the corporate tax front. And then we've got the other taxes, of, you know, um, salary withholding tax and all those things that more than double the amount of tax that you're actually paying. So we are generating lots of free cash. But at the same time, we're paying tax, paying it to the uh, to the government, and so the government recognised that. And, and in fact, uh, as I think I mentioned previously, earlier this year, after a meeting with uh, Prime Minister Morabi, they came out with a K92 good corporate citizen, flagging how much tax that we were paying. So um, all of those things are things that you need to focus on. You should be focused on, and, and quite frankly, good corporate citizens should be doing those things. It's interesting, actually. You will remember back to the early days when you when you started, or when this company started, for sure. People were concerned about the jurisdictional risk, and I'm looking out further afield into places like South America at the moment, Chile, um, struggling um, with change of constitution, change of mining, um, um, well, slight change in mining code, therefore, and the taxes, uh, and, and other places like this. And the conversation that's going on at the moment is, what does tier one jurisdiction mean anymore? And do you, do you think things are changing out there more broadly for companies, mining companies? I, I think we are more under the microscope, and I think we should be. Um, it's not just mining companies. I think business in general is more under the microscope. Um, communities and society questions what, what we're adding is value. And and we need to be able to show what we're adding is value and it, and we need to be transparent in what we do. And that's not just mining, but that's, that's so many other industries as well. We as an industry, and I'm talking the mining industry, haven't always been particularly good at communicating with all elements of society as to why we are so important. It's been too easy to, you know, talk about environment or talk about all these other issues and say, oh, you know, that's not good. We need to communicate that, in fact, you know, yes, there are negative impacts to mining. There are negative impacts to mining, but we mitigate them. And and we're focused on improving our mitigations every day. And that our net benefit to society massively outweighs our impact. And it does. Society cannot exist without us. But even that message, we haven't been particularly good at getting across at times. So, you, you know, you've got to keep working at that. But it's not just about your your contribution to the greater society of, you know, you need copper and therefore you need my mind because I'm a copper mine. It's actually about, but then what are you doing in the environment you're in, what are you doing with your local people? What are you doing with your local impacts? How are you mitigating any environmental impacts that you may have? How are you improving things? And we're working as an industry incredibly hard at that. And, and we, we're putting billions into improving how we operate, not just in terms of recoveries, 
driving down costs. But in terms of environmental performance, social performance, uh, contribution to community, et cetera, et cetera, these are important things. And when you then look at jurisdictions, the importance of those does vary depending on whether you're in a PNG type uh, environment or whether you're in British Columbia in, in Canada. And each of those has its own unique set of challenges um, and jurisdictional risk. And so areas, different areas that you need to focus on that are more important in those particular areas. But I, you know, pretty much wherever you go in the world now, you've got significant jurisdictional risk. Those jurisdictions at the lowest risk often see the best investments. Um, and, and certainly there are a few of those, but they're getting less and less because so-called tier ones, all of them have their, their own issues and getting mines up and running is getting harder and harder at, at a time when we're actually needing more and more metals and more and more new metals, such as, you know, lithiums and then those sort of things, the rare earths, as well as the more traditional coppers. So it's, it's a challenging time in many ways for our industry, but it's also a, a time of opportunity for our industry because our transition as a society into this this uh, carbonless, if you like, society, um, is a, is a massive opportunity for our, our industry, and, and we've got to get on board. Well, here's an interesting thought for you. You've raised some money recently, and we sort of joked about bankers offering you money when you don't need it. But um, and we and we were talking now about mining companies needing to be held accountable, needing to up their game and and um, be seen uh, and actually behave differently. But we, that, in the context of the SEC coming down on a lot of ESG funds, which are not necessarily ESG other other than the badging or rebadging of their fund name. Do companies like yourself also have a job? Do you feel responsible for making sure you're clear about where your money is coming from? Now, des no, you know, desperate companies will take money from anywhere, but if you've got a choice, you've got to hold the money accountable too, in, in a way. So, um, and, that's a, and that's a difficult one, and very few companies will be in the lucky position to have a choice of where they choose their money. But is that, is that a sort of conscious decision in terms of when you raise your money? Look, I have to admit, it's it's not an area that we particularly focus on. We do focus on where our concentrate's going, for instance. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, we uh, we uh, send to Oliden in Finland, and they are the producer of uh, low carbon copper, and we're we're proud to be part of that. Mm. And we're part of it because when we look at our carbon footprint, it's it's extremely small. You know, it's hydroelectric power. It's a underground uh, operation, low environmental impact. Um, so we're a very uh, uh, low carbon mine and, and getting lower, and focused on getting lower. And we'll be moving to electric equipment and those sort of things going forward in the future. ESG reporting, um, something that we we've uh, we've initiated a couple of years ago already. And every year we're expanding our, um, our reporting on ESG and and, uh, and and what have you. And you're right, um, there are ESG funds, and they certainly uh, have started. Uh, I think we are already in one or two ESG funds because you know that's we're pretty much 
a leader because of uh, because of things like being in a country that's got hydroelectric power, being the high grade, et cetera, et cetera. Auditing is a significant issue. Everyone wants to do an audit, and and so there there isn't standardization of auditing in ESG that there needs to be, and that's an area that the industry and I'm not just um, not not just mining industry, but but every industry has actually got to got to be addressing. And you know when you talk about um, reducing your carbon footprint, you know that's not going out and buying carbon credits. That's actually doing real things that actually matter. And and that's not to say that carbon credits don't play a part, but it's a small part in our view. So we focus on those things right now. I, I guess more than than um, funding uh, coming to us. I'd probably make the point that that I think um, funds that you're going to get out of places like the US, uh, uh, Canada, in our case, mainly Canada, um, Australia, and what have you, um, are going to be, um, I would say, very ESG compliant, if you, if, you, if you want to use that term, than maybe if you're getting funding from, from other areas. It, it, it's, it, that's, it's probably a conversation for another day in terms of the mining companies need to be held accountable by who you, you could you could ask. But I think a very strong part of that is if if your the companies that you partner with or choose to work with are held accountable by you and and likewise for them they hold their their their, their partners or, or suppliers accountable. It will go it will go a long way. But the, the big thing you just said there to me is like carbon credits are not. Well, they have a part to play, but they're not the total solution. You've got to take control of that yourself. Um, what, what do you mean by that? Do you, do you think that some of, the, this, some of the carbon credits out there are like synthetic or not quite as real as actually doing things on the ground? Oh, I got a smile out of you. Well, <laughs> I think carbon credits should, should be a small part of what you're doing, not a big part of what you're doing. And you've got to make sure that the real carbon credits, that they're not, um, you know, I, I go out and I acquire an area of forest to stop it being being harvested. So I've got a carbon credit, but the timber company simply goes next door and cuts the same amount of trees as they were going to anyway. You didn't really make a difference, but you got a carbon credit. So I, I think you know those sort of things um, we, we've got to look at, and um, and and I think we are looking at them. I, th- I think. The industry, I think, investors and all the rest of it are looking at those things, and and we're starting to get far more serious about the whole idea of reducing your carbon footprint and what that really means and how you really measure it and making sure that it's real. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I agree with you. I'd love to have a conversation with you separately about that. But but back back to the company before you go, so I know you're you're dashing off. Um, so record record quarter. You've got a good, strong balance sheet right now. Expiration, obviously, a, a, a big, big part of this. And so, just in terms of um, the expiration component, because you say you know, this will this will remind me around long, long after you and I have gone. Um, how many meters or dollars um, are you allocating to the expiration components, and, and where are you where are you hunting for answers? Uh, we're going to spend about fifteen million US this year. Um, six rigs, uh, each rig. We look for around uh, 600 meters a month from each rig that we have uh, we have operating. 
Balkers, uh, six of those rigs are underground. Four of them, four to five of them are focused on expanding the resource. One of the undergrad rigs is, is more about upgrading our, infer, our um, inferred to measure and indicated. We're looking to expand the resource to the south of our mining lease. We are looking to expand the resource later in the year at more at depth as that twin incline comes in and we can actually start drilling underground from the twin incline and start pushing the resource deeper. On the surface, um, we are drilling right now with four rigs in Cora South. So Cora South is basically to the south of, of the mining lease. Um, underground, also quite a bit of our drilling is into Judd, which is the parallel vein system to Cora, which so far, I mean, we're, we've only covered maybe 20% uh, of, of an area that would be equivalent to Cora, but we know that it, it sort of runs parallel to Cora. So there's a lot of drilling to be done in Judd. And to the south, we're also uh, drilling Judd. So um, that's where most of our focus is. Uh, we do have a report coming out in the not too distant future on uh, Blue Lake, which is uh, quarterly target, and we'll have a, a fairly comprehensive report out in that probably in the next quarter, in this quarter. Um, and there are a couple of other uh, porphyry targets that we're, we're sort of setting up as uh, drilling or, or actually part of that larger system. Okay. And then we've got a lot of a lot of surface work on the go, um, which is which has come out from the uh, detailed aerial, aerial geophysics program that we flew late last year, and that's just generating yeah multiple targets that is just going to keep us going for ten years plus. So a lot to be done. Okay, um, it sounds like there's a lot happening, a lot more to come with DF, another DFS PEA. Uh, on, on the way with the exploration results. Look, um, as ever, real company doing real things. Uh, John, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. As always, yeah. I've been, uh, enjoyed catching up and, and uh, yeah, giving a picture of where we are today, which is going to change by tomorrow.